All right. Well, we are in the book of Genesis. So for those who weren't out at the farm, I've got to catch you up a little bit because things have happened. And uh, we looked at 30 and 31 last week, and, and we talked a little bit about how God had blessings and babies. Jacob had, now has 11 sons and one daughter through four different women. He's got cattle all over the place. He's got, the, God has blessed him with sheep and goats, and every time he turns around, if Laban changes the wages, God blesses in another direction, and, and Jacob is to the point where God tells him, it's time to go. It's time to go back to the land, the land that you left 20 years before. And we saw as God has blessed him, uh, he has all of this goodness that God has reached out and touched him with. But Laban was jealous, was, was worried because God had blessed him so much. And so Jacob, in his character, nature of being a deceiver, bails in the middle of the night, basically. He sneaks off with all of his cattle and all of, all of his family, Laban doesn't have time to say goodbye to his two daughters or all of his grandchildren. He just sneaks off in the middle of the night. Laban catches up with him. Halfway, almost down into Canaan land, he's in Gilead when, ja when uh, Jacob stops for the night and Laban catches up with him. And God comes to Laban and he says, don't you say anything good or bad to him. And that day... Standing on that hill, they make a covenant and they put up a rock and it, they call it Misfah. God watch between me and you. And Laban, who has been somebody who has tried to take advantage all of, his, all of the time that Laban had been there, God says, no more. And they make a covenant and Laban is never heard from again. Laban turns, kisses his wife and grandchildren goodbye, and he turns and he leaves. And there are times in our life when God will separate us from those who are out to hurt us. And that's what he did with Laban. He said, no more. Laban, if you cross this line, I'll kill you, is basically what he said to Laban. And Laban honored that because God spoke to him and said, you don't mess with my children. And Laban left. And then we come to chapter 32. Most of your Bibles will say, Jacob's fear of Esau. And he had a lot to fear. If you remember the last time we left Jacob and Esau, Jacob had stolen the blessing. And Esau said what? I'm going to kill you. If I get the chance, I'm going to kill you. And the only thing that saved Jacob's life is that Isaac and Rebekah said, Jacob, you go find a wife and we'll call you back when tensions have eased. Well, they didn't call him back. God called him back. 20 years has transpired. He has no idea how Esau feels about him. So yeah, he should have been afraid. But we're going to see what God does when you obey God's word. 
God told Jacob before he left, you remember what happened when he stopped for the night on his way out? And he saw the angels going back and forth up on the ladder, Jacob's ladder we call it. And God said, listen, I'm going to reaffirm to you the blessing and the people and the land. And God, 20 years later, says, get back to the land. And I want you to watch what happens, what God does to Jacob, because it's going to be a time of reconciliation. Reconciliation, a lot of people think, oh, yeah, let's just go reconcile with somebody. It's easy. If anybody's been through the reconciliation process, it's never easy. Because there's a lot of hard feelings behind that. There's a lot of unforgiveness behind reconciliation. Jacob had no idea how Esau would receive him. And I want you to turn now to Genesis chapter 32. And I want you to look at the first two verses. Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And Jacob said, and, and Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanam. Angels. God sent angels to help Jacob through this process. Now, what were the angels doing? Have you ever considered what angels do in your life? Aren't you a little bit interested? Did you know that you have angels all around you right now? I mean, there's angels hanging out all over this place. We're well protected. So I want you to look at what angels were doing for Jacob. In Psalms 91, it says, For he will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all of your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, that you may not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. This is where we get the term guardian angels. Did you know you have a guardian angel? You actually have more than one guardian angel. We'll look at that in just a second. But God sent his angels to guard over Jacob. Now think about how he's got all of these animals. He's got all of these kids. I mean, you ever went camping with, with little kids? Right? I mean, it, it's easy to lose one. Especially if you've got a number. You've know, you, you, you got to corral these. And they're walking through the wilderness. I mean, last time, uh, last time I was on a trip on the Wahee River, we were scouting an area. It's, it's, we're three days float to get to the nearest telephone. And I happened to put my hand up on a rock to kind of steady myself as we're walking along the edge of a tri- uh, cliff trying to figure out how we were going to get through these rapids and uh, walked on by. And the guy behind me said, whoa! Right where I'd put my hand was a rattlesnake sitting up in a hole. You think my angel took care of me? It's okay, Mr. Rattlesnake, go back to sleep. Right? He was guarding them. We have guardian angels. Matter of fact, Matthew 18, 10 says this, 
See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now I want you to notice two things. One, they specifically have an angel named to them, right? It's their angel. You, each one of you, have angels. And then number two, what does it say? They're angels, plural. You've got more than one. Some of us need a whole pack because part of them are getting taken care of while the, while, you know, for all the abuse that they take from us. But we have, we have angels that are specifically appointed to you. There's Judy's angel up there. There's a couple of them, right? There's Joel's angels. and Diane. There's angels for Alan. Alan probably needs several, right? <laughs> Amen. We all do. And we have them. And God says, these are your angels to watch over you. The day that Friday morning, when Nick got to go home, his angels came down from heaven and said, Nick, I'm going to take you on home. It's time for you to go. It's time for you to come on home. He has angels that are for each one of us. And so he, they are there to protect Jacob just like they're there to protect you. Matthew 4 tells us, And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now who is this? It's Jesus. He had been in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. He hadn't eaten. He hadn't slept. Imagine how he felt. He was... He was physically exhausted. He was mentally exhausted. He had been battling, tempting with the devil. Matter of fact, he quoted the exact passage in Psalms that I just read. That his angels, that's what, that's what the devil said. He said, listen, you got it all wrong. And they came and they ministered to him. Not just we think angels only live in the spirit realm. How do you think they ministered him. They ministered him physically. They took care of him in the desert. And it wasn't just because he was Jesus. This applies for you also. In Luke 15 it says, And in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen? Man, when we come to the cross... The, the angels are dancing. And in Jacob's case, Jacob needed to repent. Jacob was, was not a good guy. We were talking about that in class on Tuesday. Jake, there's not a whole lot of, of redemptive value in Jacob, but God loved him. And those angels that work for us, they're looking to God and saying, okay, God help us we want you know you ever you ever seen the the old time uh cartoons the angel over here and the devil over here right and i suppose our angel when we're out in sin don't go there don't you dare do that you need to repent you need to, and what does repent mean change your mind and what turn around go the other direction and those angels are saying, man, come on, Jacob, you need to repent of your sin. You need to repent of your deceptiveness. You need to let God change your heart. Well, in Hebrews 1.4 it says, 
For they are not all ministering, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will, who will not have, who will inherit salvation? Have you ever thought that God sends angels to the unsaved to tell them, repent? To talk to them, to keep them safe until the, they can come to the point of salvation? If you're praying for somebody to turn back to God or you're praying for somebody to get saved, angels are there to do your bidding. Angels are going to carry the message of God to that person until they come to salvation. Those who will inherit salvation, not have. Angels are working on the hearts and the minds and protecting people who are going to come to God. Jacob had not fully surrendered to God yet. And he said, I got angels working on this. And he those angels walked with them through that wilderness. Well, I want you to look at Genesis 32, 3 to 8. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Eden. He commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. I have sent to tell you, my Lord, that I will find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he defied the people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to this one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Wow. Even though God had told him to come back to the land, and even though God had sent angels to protect him as he's going through the land, Jacob is still scheming. He says, oh, I got this figured out. I'm just going to send somebody back. I'm going to tell him, it's your servant, Jacob, not your brother. He didn't say, your brother Jacob's coming home, because what, what relationship did he have as a brother? What had he done to his brother? He stole his birthright, and he stole his blessing. He didn't want to be received as brother Jacob, because brother Jacob had done a world of hurt. He said, I'm your servant. And oh, by the way, I don't need anything from the birthright. I don't need anything from the blessing because while I was with Laban, God blessed me with all of these things. I don't need anything. I don't need any inheritance. Just let me come back to the land. Scheme number one. Did it work? No, 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 it didn't. Because they went down and they said that and they said they came back. And I imagine Esau's kind of, I'm going to make him squirm a little bit. I don't know that Esau did that, but he, he doesn't say, oh yeah, come on Jacob, we love you. Come on back, all's forgiven. He says nothing to the servants of Jacob. He just said they're coming with 400 men. 
And old Jacob's going knee knocking. Right? Scheme number two. Well, I'm going to divide. The, I'm going to divide everything I have. And it says two companies. Now I imagine it probably wasn't equally divided up. Maybe he took the the children of Bilhah and Zippah and put them with some of the cattle, and then he kept Rachel and Leah over here with some more. But he said, if one of them dies, we still got some left. Scheme number two. Oh man, maybe God will. Maybe maybe I can get away with this yet. He'll he'll kill off part of us, but not all of us. I'll survive. He's still scheming. Well, then comes his prayer. I want you to look at this prayer. This is a prayer that that we ought to be praying. Genesis 32, 9 through 12. It's not a long prayer. It doesn't take but but a few seconds to read it. But I want you to look at the earnestness of this prayer. Jacob said... O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who has said to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of the loving kindness of all the faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. For with your staff only, with my staff only, I crossed the Jordan, And now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. What a prayer. And in the midst of strife and in the midst of, of uh, agony, we don't need to have a long prayer. Save me. Deliver me. Jacob's prayer was full of humility, and he was claiming the promises of God. Those are two things that are absolutely critical for restoration. For, for reconciliation, first we have to come humbly. Humility is not something that comes easy to most of us. It's hard because the world says, hey, we want, you know, when we, when we, we want to, the accolades right now, what? We're in the middle of the Olympics and everybody wants to win the gold medal. Everybody wants to be on the podium. They've worked their whole lives to be there and they want to have the applause of man. But God says, listen, I want you to come to me humbly. And that's what Jacob does. In Leviticus 16.31, when God is giving us his law, he says, it is to be the Sabbath of a solemn rest for you that you may what? Humble your souls. And it is a permanent statute. He says, I want you to come humbly before God. He says, that's part of the Sabbath. When we, when we come to God, we want to humble ourselves. 
It's not, oh, look how good I am. It's how good God is. We humble ourselves before him. A lot of times we read this passage, especially in in this day. But I want you to look at this. If I, God, shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. Does that sound familiar? Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence among them, my people. And then I want you to watch what he says. And my people who are called by my name, what? Humble themselves. And what? Pray. And what? Seek my face. And what? Turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Four conditions to the last line. See, everybody wants the last line. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Everybody wants that. But the four conditions come first. What? He says we need to humble ourselves. And if we don't humble ourselves, what do you think God's going to do? God will humble us as a nation. Number two, he says you need to pray. And that's not, oh, God... Heal our land. That's on your face before God in humbleness. And then he says, number three, seek my face. What is that? That's obedience. We have to walk in obedience. We can't go on our merry way and say, oh, hey, I'm going to live like any way I want and ask God forgive our sins and heal our land. And then what does he say finally? And turn from their wicked ways. What is that? Repentance. We've got to quit doing what we're doing. Humility is all part of that. Psalms 25, 9 says, He leads the humble to justice and He teaches the humble His way. It's really hard for God to teach us when we're proudful. When we have pride about, oh, look what I have done. God told Jacob, I'm the one that blessed you. I'm the one that provided all of you, all of this for you. I want you to humble your heart before me. David wrote a particular proverb here. Excuse me. Solomon wrote a proverb that says, uh, My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, if you have given a pledge to a stranger, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, Does that sound like Jacob? Yeah. Do this then, my son. Deliver yourself, since you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go and what? Humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Humble yourself before Esau. That's that's part of of the reconciliation process, is we can't go into reconciliation with, oh, I'm right, you're wrong. And so let's be reconciled. That's not the way it works. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to come before whoever we've, we've wronged and say, Lord, or maybe it's somebody who's wronged us. Told you so. Told you you'd be back. Wouldn't it, I mean, isn't that what uh, the prodigal son's brother did? Dad, what are you doing? This guy wasted everything that you gave him. That's the way we usually respond, but 
God said, you know what? You need to have humbleness if you're the one who's been wronged. Well, I want you to look at the other half. Jacob's prayer was not only full of humility, but it was claiming promises. Look at verse 9. And Jacob said, and he, he says, O God, my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who has said to me, you told me, God, you, you told me to return to the land and what? I will prosper you. God, that's what you said. Now this is not a name it and claim it prosperity gospel. This is God promised him if he would return to the land, he would prosper him. Look at verse 12. For you said, I will surely prosper you and what? Make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. He said, you promised that my lineage would be like the sand of the sea. And how can you do that if you allow all of my children to be destroyed by Esau? He claimed the promises of God. And when we pray, we need to claim the promises of God. I want you to look at Romans 8, 28 to 35 real quick. And I want us to look at this and think of promises we can claim out of it. Romans 8, 28 to 35. If you're in the middle of, an, of a trial right now, if you're in the middle of the storm and you want to understand what's going on, listen to this. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God and those who are called according to your purpose. It doesn't say all things are good. It doesn't say cancer's good. It doesn't say problems in your marriage are good. It doesn't say problems in your finances are good. It doesn't say any of that. It says all things work together for good if you're called according to his purpose. And if, if you're one of those who love God. That's a verse you can claim. God, I don't understand. I don't understand why I'm in the middle of the trial. I don't understand why I'm in the middle of this storm. But you told me it will be good. It will all work out in the end for good. So God, I am trusting you to work it. Because you're working. Oh, and by the way, send my angels down to minister to me, would you? Because they're there. Claiming God's word. God, you know what is, and you're working in my life. What if you've been wrongly accused? Somebody slandered you. Somebody's talked behind your back. Words hurt. You know that, that old saying, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you, is a lie from the pit of hell. Words are one of the most damaging things that will ever happen, and you can never take them back. That's part of reconciliation. Look what it says here. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to his image of his son, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for all of us, how will he not also freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. If somebody has talked wrong about you, you need to, you need to realize this. God has an image of who you are. And what other people think really doesn't matter. He will take care of that. He, he's the one who loves you. He loves you so much that what? He went to the cross for you. If somebody's been talking bad about you, you need to let God take care of it. He is the one who justifies. One more thing. Do you feel alone? Are you feeling like I'm all alone in this? There's nobody else to help me. I want you to, to listen to the rest of this. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That's what we pray. God, there is nothing that can separate me from your love. And it's not that I'm holding on to you, it's that you're holding on to me. You are cradled in the arms of God. No one can pull those arms apart. He loves you, he will care for you, and when you feel the loneliness, you can pray to him and say, thank you God that there's nothing that can separate me from you because you have got me. That's how we pray the word of God back to him. That's how we pray prayers back to him. Well, let's look at 32, 13 to, to, to 23, because we're just going to summarize this, because Jacob still hasn't got it. Jacob has something else up his sleeve. He says, I've got another plan. I'm going to bribe Esau. He doesn't know how much he has. He knows he's got 400 men. But he doesn't know, does he have a lot of animals? How has he fared with, with his father's flocks? So I'm going to bribe him. And he goes through and he, he says he sets aside all of these animals. It 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes, 20 rams. Uh, 30 camels and their colts. 40 cows and 10 bulls. 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And he put them on ahead, and he did this three different groups of them. He said, go on ahead of me. Now that's quite, if anybody ever wants to start a farm, that's a pretty good spread right there. That's a whole lot of animals. And notice they're all breeders, right? He gives females and males. He says, I'm going to set Esau up like nobody's business. I'm going to send him all this. I'm going to bribe him. And if the first group doesn't do it, there's another group behind it. And a third group behind it. He's still scheming. But then we come to verse 24. Let's turn there. Verse 24 through 32. Jacob is finally going to get it. He's finally going to figure this out. Verse 24. And then Jacob was left alone took all his family, 
took all of his cattle, put them on the other side of the river. Now we're in the middle of hill country here. Jacob crawls up on top of the hill and he's all by himself. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but it will be Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. And he said, why is that? Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. And therefore to this day the sons of Israel go, do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of his hip. Jacob got alone with God. A lot of times when we want to reconcile, we want to get everybody's opinion. What do you think of this? What do you think of this? How am I going to solve this problem? Jacob had tried all of his conniving that he could, all of his deceitfulness he could, but finally he had to get alone with God. And folks, I'm telling you, there is nothing that will replace getting alone with God when you've got a problem, when you've got something going on. When you need to reconcile with somebody, you need to spend some time alone. Jesus had to, in Matthew 14, 23, it says, after he, Jesus, had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. I mean, if Jesus needed to get alone with his father, how much more do we need to get alone with God? And say, God, here I am. I am standing in the need of prayer. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. God, I need you to come down and give me the answer. Help me to be humble before whoever I need to go to. Speak to my brother ahead of me. I need you. And if Jesus needed that, we do. In Luke 5 it says, But the news of him had spread farther, and the large crowds were gathered to hear him, and he healed, to be healed of his sickness. But Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness to pray. We've got to get alone with God and say, God, what do you want to do in my life? Don't ever say, God, why are you doing this to me? Say, God, what do you want to do with me? How do you want to use me? What do you, could you restore this relationship? 
David wrote in the Psalms, My heart is at anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, that I would fly away and be at rest. Behold, I would wander far away, and I would lodge in the wilderness. I would get alone with God, is what David is saying. David said, I, get, I, get, I need to get alone with God. And when he got alone with God, I want you to notice, he wrestled with, he wrestled, and we could have this great theological debate, was this the Son of God, was this an angel, who was this that he wrestled with? It really doesn't matter, because it doesn't tell us. But what I do know is that it was a match when we get alone with God and we wrestle over whatever it is, the decision we need to make, the reconciliation that needs to happen, that God will not allow us to leave unchanged. When David left, or when Jacob left, he would never be the same. Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life because he had met with God. God had come down and he said, listen, I want to bless you, but you've got to release your hate. You've got to release your fear of Esau. You've got to let it go. You've got to let your deceitfulness go. You've got to let all of your past go. You've got to, you've got to let this go and come before me in humbleness and then I'm going to change your situation. Jacob was never the same. And when we meet with God, when we get alone with God and truly humble ourselves before him, we cannot leave without being changed. We're going to come to communion. And as we come, I want you to think about what that cross means. That cross is a place that changes everything. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you come to that cross, you're going to be changed. You know, Jacob, for the rest of his life, carried a staff and leaned on it because of what God had done when he touched his hip. And there are people that say, you know what, I think, I think this, this Christianity thing, I think this believing in Jesus is a crutch. And I said, amen. Because I'm broken. I'm a sinful, sinful person. And the only thing that keeps me going is that I have Jesus Christ as my Savior. You see, because when I came to the cross, God touched me. And I may not walk with a limp, but he touched my heart. You know, when a, when a shepherd has a sheep that keeps running off, you know what he does? He breaks his leg. And why does he break his leg? So that he has to carry him. And that shepherd will take that lamb and he'll put him on his shoulders and he'll carry him. And that's what Jesus does. 
He says, I want you to be close to me. And if it means going through this, I'm going to bring you close.